I remember saying to her over and over, like when we found out that he didn't make it, I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave. Like I just said it over and over and over again. And so for sure the feeling of like, oh my gosh, like what is life going to look like now? How do we tell her children? How do we tell my children? Like it's hard to even like wrap your head around it. It's just so many big thoughts that your mind, right, has a way of protecting you from even having to fully go into like coping mode where you, you know, then you're in denial and you're like, this can't be real. Like it just, it just didn't feel real. But I knew for me and I'm her older sister and I just, you know, our whole life, we've had challenges in our lifetime. And so through everything we've been through, it's like kind of always take the older sister role. Welcome to In Conversation series presented by Support Now, where we dive into the messy middle of life's tough times and learn how everyday people make it through. Today, Jordan hears from speech sisters Brooke Dwyer as they explore personal tragedy and community support through the lens of the supporter. Do you or someone you know need support right now? Support Now is an online platform that helps supporters to provide relief in the form of money, meals, and more to individuals and families in tough times. Through a single online experience, supporters can direct their compassion in meaningful ways. Support Now helps people show up when it matters the most. Start a free registry today at supportnow.org. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I have the pleasure to be with the Brooke Dwyer. Um, I have admired you and your work through Speech Sisters since I became a mom. So first of all, thank you you for what you do. I think you just provide such incredible tools and resources for moms that are navigating this newness of life and parenting. It's just spectacular. So thank thank you. you. And you've invited me into your home, which is so kind. Uh, and I am grateful for a night away from my little one. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to give you the opportunity, though, for those that aren't familiar with you and Speech Sisters, just mm-hmm. to share a little bit more about Speech Sisters yeah, to start. Sure. So I'm a speech and language pathologist, and my sister and I both are, actually. And so 13 years ago, when I moved out here to L.A., my sister was already here, and we decided that since we were both SLPs and we were both living in the same place, that we would open a private practice. So we did, and that got rolling, it got busy, and my husband worked kind of in, you know, media, and he was like, you guys should really get on a social media platform, it would be so helpful, and so for so many people, spread your word, spread your knowledge, and so we developed an Instagram account, Speech Sisters, and that was in, I think, 2018, and with that, we developed a couple of online courses for parents of little ones so that they could help their kids learn to talk, just like in the everyday routines that they're already doing, not really carving out extra time. So we did that, and then COVID happened, and honestly, the timing was so beautiful for what we had created because so many children were not going to school, not going to daycare. Parents were home, and they're like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And we we had the tools to show them. So that is where we're at now. We still have our private practice, and we still are doing Speech Sisters. We're getting ready to launch more courses and new and content. And you're a mom of three. And I'm a mom of three, yes, yes, so you yes. Really I am. Yes. you really do it all. You really do it all. And you do it so beautifully and gracefully. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and as you know, part of your story as Speech Sisters has evolved. Yes. And evolved in a way I don't think that 
anyone could really imagine. So obviously I want to talk about the new narrative inside of Speech Sisters. I know it can be difficult to share, but I'd love for you to just express Mm -hmm. uh, what happened a little bit over a year ago. Yeah. So it's not quite a year. It's been 10 months and we were celebrating the weekend of November 11th. We were celebrating my sister, Bridget, my business partner, her 40th birthday in Mexico. And we were with, I think, 22 friends and her husband tragically died in a drowning accident. It's called a shallow water blackout. Although now I think they're not calling it that anymore. They're calling it like a hypoxic, hypoxic drowning event or something like that. Regardless, same situation. Dave, my brother-in-law was an avid swimmer and a diver and he loved nothing more than to be in the water and literally swam every day of his entire life. And he would hold his breath for extended periods of time under the water and was proud of it and didn't realize the very scary complications that can come from it. And so um, when we were in Mexico, a couple of the guys were playing some games and saying, how long can you swim and hold your breath? And so he did it and we were in a four foot pool. So it was very shallow water and People were, of course, everybody was kind of around the pool doing their own thing. And I mean, this is at like three in the afternoon. And so he didn't come up and it just looked like he was continuing to hold his breath. But really he had passed out underwater and he had, he had drowned. So just all happened so fast and uh, we witnessed the whole thing. So yeah, it's a lot. It was an out of body experience. It was something that, you know, you never think will happen to you or anyone you know, let alone like your sisters, my brother-in-law who was like a brother to me and, you know, to be there and watch it happen and watch it all unfold. And so it's got to feel still like when you retell that story, it's still got to be surreal for you. It is. Yes. Yes. It's like my heart races and my hands get sweaty and I'm just like, yeah, like reliving it. But yeah. So tell me, obviously there was extreme shock. Yes. You have to fly home. Yeah. And Bridget also has young children. Yes. How old were the kids? Six and four. At the time. At the time, yeah. What for you changed? I know a lot changed, mm-hmm. but specifically in the dynamic of you and your sister, you and her are already so close. Yes. Sisters, yes. you live close, your business partners. Yes. What did you feel change like in those moments when you realized that she was now a widow. Yeah. I remember saying to her over and over, like when we found out that he didn't make it, I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave. Like I just said it over and over and over again. Yeah. And so for sure the feeling of like, oh my gosh, like what is life going to look like now? How do we tell her children? How do we tell my children? Like it's hard to even like wrap your head around it. Yeah. It's just so many big thoughts that you know, I think your your mind, right, has a way of protecting you from even having to fully go into like coping mode where you, you know, then you're in denial and you're like, this can't be real. Like it just, it just didn't feel real. But I knew for me and I'm her older sister and I just, you know, our whole life, we've had challenges in our lifetime. And so through everything we've been through, it's like kind of always take the older sister role. Yeah. I'm um, an older sister, so I, I can relate to that. Yes. You just kind of always take on this caregiver role yes. naturally. Yes. 
Exactly. And so I would imagine in this community and everything that you've built, when you got home, there was an abundance of support waiting for you. Oh, yeah. What was it? What were people doing? What, like, what happened? Yeah. So my mom was here with all five kids when it happened watching them because, you know, we were just gone for the weekend. So we flew her in to watch the kids. And immediately when, when she got the news, I mean, we had so many friends that weren't able to come on the trip that were still here that just fled to her, you know, and just, cause she was beside herself. And and then we were, you know, don't tell the kids yet. And anyway, so yes, we had so many friends come in and just like pick up the pieces, relieve her of anything she had to do with the kids and the kids kind of went to friends' houses and whatnot. And then once we got back, it was just, my house was the landing spot. So we all came back here and there were 10 to 20 people here every day at any given hour, just food and toilet paper and everything, blankets and everything you could ever, flowers and all the things, Um, meals and meals and meals, so many meals. And then just support, just like love and hugs and crying together and all the things. But yes, our community is very, very strong and tight-knit. And that was wonderful. What was overwhelming about that for you? Uh, I mean, I think the fact that it was was all happening in my house, which I'm very open in my home. I will open my home up to anybody. And any given day, I have no less than six children in my house. And I just... many daycare. Exactly. Yes. So I I love that. I'm very comfortable with people being here, but I think it was, it felt really good in the beginning. And then as time went on, it was a lot. You never knowing who was coming, who was going, you know, what people were bringing. And the kids were really, we kept the kids home from school. So they were seeing all of it. And that was hard because in hindsight, I'm like, maybe I should have sent them to school. You know, you always go back just because they were like, what is happening? We've experienced death before. As adults, we kind of know that people come and they bring things and and it's like a revolving door and the whole thing. But like the kids were like, what's going on? You know, so yeah, in that way, I feel like looking back, it was, it was a lot. Did you feel the need, the desire to shield Bridget? And if so, how? I did. I asked her over and over again, like, do you want these people here? Do you, I mean, she had friends flying from Boston that were like, staying here. And in the beginning, she wanted every, like she, I don't think she knew what she wanted. She seemed okay with it. And to be quite honest, like I felt like I needed the support. You know, I, it couldn't just be me or my husband, my mom. Like it could, I needed more than just the immediate family because I needed some help and reprieve. So, but yes, I did feel like I needed to shield her. She was really good about like putting up her boundaries. And like when she didn't want to be around people, she'd go upstairs. And then I'd kind of be like, okay, I think it's time to go. So you were the bouncer. You, mm-hmm. you kind of knew when it was appropriate, when it wasn't appropriate. Yes. And I think what you said is super important. Decision fatigue is a real thing. Yes. Especially in the early stages of grief where yes. people don't know what they need. Yeah. They don't know what they want. Yep. And it creates this like really interesting dynamic between everyone that wants to help and the family that would be the recipient of that. Yes. Um, so it becomes awkward and mm-hmm. confusing because if she doesn't know what they need, then the community is just going to do what they think they need. And then it becomes kind of too much. Yes. Can, it can feel like an abundance that's not necessary at yes. that time. Yes. Does that Absolutely. Does that yep. 100%. And then the other thing that I... I'm really fascinated by, and one of the things I want to really dig in with you 
I would imagine that you are playing this like extreme primary caregiver role to Mm -hmm. your sister. Yeah. And there's a lot of attention, rightfully so, on your sister. Mm -hmm. But you also lost your brother. Mm -hmm. And that's real. Yeah. So I want to know, what has it been like to both play this extraordinary superhero supporter role while also grieving someone that you love so much? Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. I, I mean, I feel like I'm very good at compartmentalizing as you know so many of us are as mothers and if you work and you run a household do all the things right so I do feel like I'm really good at that but it will just break me down sometimes and so never really been a therapy person not that I'm against it it's just like I've tried it it's never really been my thing or like worked for me but I did start going to therapy I did this time or yes I I do um I feel like it's been helpful I mean sometimes it's equally as helpful just to go on a walk with a girlfriend and like talk it all out to be honest yeah Yeah. but I did EMDR uh which is eye movement desensitization (laughs) anyway it's a mouthful but it's for the trauma so it's a deal with the trauma so that I think really really helped which has been great but yeah you know it's a lot and then my my husband also went through a lot. He was in the ambulance. One person was able to go with Dave in the ambulance and Bridget couldn't go. And I stayed with her and my husband went. And so he was with him when it all went down. Like it became very everything. He saw everything. So he dealt with a lot of trauma and grief, of course. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, Bridget, Shane, my kids, like, I can be later, I can be later, you know, but then obviously you can't, you know, you get to a, your breaking point. And so I do feel like over the last 10 months, like periodically after a month or so, I'll just like hit a wall and just, you know, have a breakdown kind of thing and then feel a little bit better. And, but yeah, it's hard. There's no guidebook. There's no, like, no yeah. one tells you how to cope with this stuff. No, no one does. And I see this all the time where there are a lot of grief resources mm-hmm. out there. Yes. There's a lot of therapies and research around mm-hmm. grieving, the grieving process. And at the same time, there's not a lot of resources and information and tools for supporters that are also grieving. Yeah. And there's not a lot of information and there's not a lot of places you can Google to say, what do I do now? Yes. So to myself, And how to tell the community what to do. Mm -hmm. Because not only, again, are you managing it for you, you're also the microphone to everyone else. Because my guess is most people are hesitant to reach out to Bridget. Yes. So everyone's coming to you. Yep. That stampede that wants to get to Bridget and the kids, they're coming to you. That is a heavy burden. Yeah. To carry day in and day out. Yeah. And it sounds like you very much, you're still in it. Yeah. For sure. So talk to me a little bit about, okay, it's been 10 months. Mm-hmm. Have you seen support drop off? Like what's changed since the early days, since right after the funeral, you're getting through that first year first, which is yeah. very commonly discussed. But sure. what, where are you all now? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's so different from the early days, like just the amount of people that were here all the time. So physically, the people that you see, and then I feel like that drops off a little bit, but then it's like people are calling and people are trying to set up. Can I, like for Bridget anyway, when she went back home, it was like, can I take you dinner, but can I stay and have dinner with you? You know, just so she wouldn't be alone type of thing. She's 
still has a, that's still happening quite a bit. I mean, I, I cannot speak, like our community is just so unbelievably amazing. And every person who came here from a different area or a different community was like, I would never have anything close to this. Like this wow. doesn't exist where I am. So, I mean, it's just amazing where we are. But yeah, I mean, there definitely is drop off. I mean, life goes on. People have to go on with their lives. Like I struggled with that a lot because again, I promised my sister I'll never leave you alone. And then I was like, I have to leave her alone. But, you know, but like you I, have to. I have to, you know? Right. And so, I mean, there would be nights where I would call her and I'd be like, okay, I'm running, you know, this kid to lacrosse, picking up that one at dance. And, but I've got like 30 minutes. Do you want me to come over? Like yeah. just so there's a person there, you know? And we're past that point now. Like she's very much okay to be alone right. in her house. And, sure. you know, we're past that. But I feel like I still think of it all the time. And, you know, I'm, there's not a night that goes by that I'm like, is she okay in her house right now by herself? You know, right. and I'll call her text. How you doing? How's tonight and going? And load is still very real, even yes. if you're not physically present. Exactly. So I know through my own experiences with not just loss, but really anything mm -hmm. traumatic that oftentimes people can be concerned or nervous to reach out. What would you say to those people? Reach out. Reach out 100% because you know what? I probably was one of those people that would have been nervous and like, I don't know what to say. You know, obviously not if it's a close person, but if sure. it was someone that I knew but not really well and something tragic happened, reach out. Those people that reached out that I was like, I can't believe he or she reached out. I was, it, it makes such a difference. Even just like, I'm thinking about you, you know? Yeah. If you're thinking about it, do it. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you because... I've always observed that it's interesting, even if you don't have a really strong relationship with someone or maybe a friend's missed the mark a few times in your life, yep. the way they show up in tough times yes. can become what you actually remember about them. Absolutely. It's not how you show up during the happy times. Yep. Not, it's not the weddings no. and the babies that matter. Right. And, and I know for me personally, I remember the people that did and didn't reach out yep. in certain traumatic moments in my life. And sure. And that really stays with you. Absolutely. Are yes. there any things specifically like words that you recommend saying or not saying? Were there any times where you or Bridget kind of find yourself like, er, there's a better way of saying it? Because what I often hear is, I want to reach out. I just don't know what to say. Yes, yes. I think the, like, the open-ended questions are really hard. And they mean, like, how how are you? Like, yeah. I'm terrible. You know what I mean? I'm, but of course, that's just like human nature and that's just what we ask. But like, I think more of the comments, just I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. That is probably more beneficial just because like, it's like, how are you? I would get so many texts. How are you? How are you? And I'm like, I'm awful, but I'm not going to write that right now. And if I were to tell you exactly all the things, how I'm feeling, I'd have to sit here for 15 minutes. So like, right. I don't even want to respond. Right, you it's know, too much. it's too much. It's too and much. I know Bridget felt the same. Bridget had literally probably 500 text messages at one point that she's like, I will never answer these. Like, thank you people for reaching out, but I do not have the bandwidth. I don't have the capacity. Nope. Uh-uh. No. So that makes me think of another, is there a better way? Other than text, you know, text is so prevalent in our mm -hmm. culture. Is there a better venue, at least in her particular case, where it was so sudden and so tragic? Yes. Like, is an email better? Is a, is a voicemail better? Is a voice note better? I mean, do you have a point of view on that? I think that, I think texts are very overwhelming and I think emails can be too, just because they load up. And if you're a person that needs to get empty out your inbox or 
you have like anxiety around that, you may not get to that. And when you're feeling as depleted as Bridget was, you don't even want to go there. Sometimes you just want to ignore, right? So if it could be another way in in another place, and then you can go to those messages when you're ready, you know, whether they're audio messages or written messages, whatever they are. But, you know, I guess I suppose people sent cards and you know, that was great. And those, at least you can look at them or put right. them away for later. Yes, them away. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if there was a place for them where someone could just reach out and put them in a, in a safe place and you can always go back to them. Sure, because I'd imagine in some ways it would be cathartic at some point to look back. Absolutely. And like have a place to, to reflect. Yes. On that support, because it is so beautiful, despite the tragedy. It yes. is a beautiful expression of love. Absolutely. That, you know, a text message, it's hard to remember. And yep. it's certainly not able to be grouped in with the, all the things that are being brought to you. But that's really helpful. Yeah. My other question is, what advice would you give to someone like yourself who's suddenly thrust mm-hmm. into this unimaginable, upside-down role of both taking care of your sister or mm-hmm. grieving? What advice do you have for that person? Because the truth of the matter is, well, I pray that no one goes through mm. what you're going through. These tough times, they happen all the time. Yes, yes. It is a part of our life. Yep. Just like babies are a part of our life. Yep. Just like love is a part of our life. Yeah. Loss, horrible diagnosis, tragedy, like it happens. Yeah. So what would you tell that person? <sighs> brace yourself. Yeah. yeah, brace yourself. Right, you know, um, I mean, I think... I think it's important to have boundaries in a way when you are in my situation where there was a million people coming to my home. I'm very forgiving. I'm very nice. I'm non-confrontational. I'm not so good at putting up boundaries. Yeah. My sister is much better at that. So she was good. But for me, people would come in and, and it was great. But then it got to a point where it was too much. And it was too much for my family. It was too much for my husband, too much for my kids, where I can be a little more laid back and mellow like other people weren't. And so I think kind of in the beginning, you're going to have all that, but then to really as quickly as you can understand like what is right for you and your family and your people, and then put up those boundaries. Like this is what we need. This is what we don't need. This is what we want. This is what we don't want. You know, I was not good at that at all. I just kind of let it all roll in. And it was, and it was, it was for the most part, so helpful. So, so helpful, but overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And again, people are just going to keep showing up mm-hmm. and they're going to keep doing the thing yeah. until they're told otherwise right. because it's such a fog of confusion. Yes. Yes. So truly, how is Bridget doing right now? How, how would you? I She's doing okay. I mean, she is, I feel like over the last few months, she's moved into more of like an acceptance, a place of acceptance where she's just like, you know, this is my life. This is the card I've been dealt and it sucks, but I am going to put my big girl pants on and just keep on going and do this for the kids and for myself. And we're really like gearing up and getting back to work. And that took a while. Like I remember after it happened, she's like, I just need till January 1st. I was like, oh yeah. Need a lot more than that, you know, like just oh, not, oh, you know, to like November to January. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. No, oh, no. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, there's, but she's like, amazing. But she yeah, is a workhorse. She is. The part of me was like, oh, gosh, is she serious? You know, um, well, and, that, and, and good for you for saying, 
You yeah. need more time. Yes, exactly. Like you're not going to be able to brute force your way no. back into this normalcy exactly. because everything is different. Everything's different. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I do feel like it, you know, it is, it's a new normal, but we're, she's doing the best she can. Yeah. And, and she's, I'm, she's so strong. And I, I don't always like to use that word because, you know, strong can mean so many different things, but she's, she's resilient. She's finding her best self in this process. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've, I've read about that where calling a, a widow strong or resilient is kind of, it feels weird to say yeah. because you have no choice. You have no choice. Yeah. And you still are those things. And she was those things before this. Totally. It's just, yeah. This experience has amplified that. Yep. And I'd imagine it's amplified that for you too. I mean, mm -hmm. you too are strong yeah. and resilient. How are the kids? Her kids are, um, the kids really are resilient. It's unbelievable. Stella is her, the little, you know, little yeah. girl. Um, she's turning five in October and she is, she's really carefree about it. And you know, I, she asks about daddy, she talks to daddy, but she's so young. And Ben has had a harder time for sure. Both of them are just amazing children. They're such great kids. And He's like an observer. He's very, he's like oldest child, really Typical, takes it all in. Like, yeah. Yep. Cautious. And so he, I think, has, holds in a lot, but they're both doing overall really, really well. That's yeah, it is. Before I get to my lightning round, yeah. anything else that's just like on your mind that feels appropriate in the spirit of what we're talking mm. about? As, and again, I mean that from the sense that support is hard. Yeah. And it's really hard in this specific scenario. Yep. Yeah. Anything else that you just want to share? One thing I would say, so I learned this lesson myself, but also Bridget and I have a lot of mutual friends, but a lot of our friends would say, what can I do? Or mm -hmm. so that question of what can I do? And I would ask Bridget often, like, what can I do? You know, when she moved home and like, what can I do to make things easier? Or what can I do? She has no idea, right? So you just have to do. Like if you are a close person and you think you have an idea of what your friend or family member needs, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, like I had to learn this because I, or I, you know, do you want me to come over? Right. Do you need me right now? Mm -hmm. Things like that, like those open-ended where I think I kind of knew the answer deep down, but I didn't want to overstep. And I also was like, I don't know, like, should I wait for her to tell me? And she never would. She'd be like, I don't know. And then I'd just be like, Brooke, no, you need to go over there right now. You know, and I would, and she she needed me. So there's this balance of like mm -hmm. assertiveness. Yes. Right? Where it's like not overbearing, yes. but if you want to do the thing, yep. don't wait too long for permission. Exactly. Or else you may never be able to actually do, take that action. Absolutely. Yes. And I think what you said is a really beautiful way to frame it. Like the open-ended questions where you're forcing someone to think yeah. about what they need or what they don't need, especially early, mm -hmm. isn't necessarily the most productive use of the question because you know they want to do something. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's I think that's really, really sound advice. Yes, it is. Even a friend, what do you think Bridget needs tonight? Or, you know, like, mm -hmm. and so then Ugh. I would say more like, can I bring you soup? <laughs> yes or no? Like make it a yes or no question as opposed to an open-ended, right. right? That is much easier for her brain to process yes. and yes then answer. No. Yes yeah. or no. Or yes. Can I bring you soup tonight? Yeah. I'm happy to drop it off at your door. Yay or nay. Exactly. Or 
And, and then at least she could say, not tonight, but actually tomorrow night would be much better. So being much yes. more specific yes. with the ask. Yes. That way it's not catching her off guard. Yep. And yep. it's allowing her to accept that support uh, more meaningfully. Exactly. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And, and again, you know, you, you know my heart on this. I believe that supporters should be able to provide relief to families in tough times. Yes. And that there is a role to play by teaching supporters and the community at large what they should do, what they don't want, mm -hmm. what they shouldn't do. Yep. All of those things can be modernized. Yeah. And so hearing your experience and just talking about this, because like I said earlier, I really think this is important. We live in a culture that obsesses over happy times. Yeah. We do. Yeah. But when things go south, we run around with chickens with their heads cut off. Yeah. Yet it happens all the time. I so I really feel passionately that your voice on this can help bring clarity to the confusion of someone else that might be going through yeah. this or help bring some order to the chaos because there does have to be a strategy mm -hmm. in this. You do have to be aligned with your sister and with the kids while also giving the community a place to feel like they've done something. Because when these things happen, people at their core, they just want to feel like they've done something. Yes. Whether it's helpful or not. Right. I don't know as much that people care about that. They do to an extent, but they want to say, I did this for Bridget. Yep. Now I can feel good about yes. myself. Yep. Uh, one last question. I know I yeah. said that was my last one, but check-ins. There's a lot of research mm -hmm. out there that states that after 90 days, you see that really mm -hmm. dramatic drop-off. I always encourage people to set a reminder in your phone, yep. whether that's two weeks, every two weeks, every month, yep. every three months, to send a text to someone you love yeah. saying, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. Yep. Are there any other things in that vein? Because my biggest fear for anyone that's gone through some serious trauma and tragedy is that particularly after a year, people really have moved on. Yeah. And I believe that we can normalize this idea that support should last longer yep. than that first year of grief, which is so heavy and so consuming. So just kind of thoughts, yeah. response to that. I love that. I think that's huge. And I feel like there are people in our life right now that do those check-ins and, you know, make the plans. Like, you know, she has a friend that comes every other Tuesday for dinner. That is so helpful because Bridget will even say like, oh, this Tuesday, you know, so-and-so is coming and I look forward to that. You know, and so I do have a fear that November 11th is going to come and we do this, you know, celebration of his yes, life. And then everyone, everyone's around for the big moments. Yep. yep. But what and happens then, November 12th? Yeah, exactly. So I do fear that. I, again, I feel like with the community and the friends that we have, I think it will continue to keep going. But yes, like getting the word out there to people that does continue to be so important. Yeah. Because although our lives move on, Theirs don't. I mean, yeah. they, this is, this still is real. really hard. Yeah. Exactly. This is her reality. Yep. Very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to do a quick lightning round okay. with you. Food or money for food? Oh, that's so hard. Can I say both? <laughs> <laughs> I think right away, food, but money for food has been so helpful. Like down the road, she's still using DoorDash. Great. So I think both. Okay. That's okay. Fine. Okay. Do you believe in science? 1,000%. Yeah, they're everywhere. You just have to be open to them. Okay. Flowers or no flowers? <laughs> Again, like one of those where I'm you like... You never think you would pause so I know, because I'm like, we'll take six arrangements, but that's it. Right. Like, cap it out. 
I guess more no flowers. No flowers. Yeah. Okay. Biggest change you've made in yourself since Dave died? <laughs> Allowing myself to stop and feel the pain and the grief and the sadness and the emptiness. I don't do this every day. At this point, I probably don't do it every month, but every now and then just really allowing myself to feel because I'm, I'm not good at that. But in this case, I have become better. Do you prefer check-ins or people checking in? Really is for you and Bridget mm -hmm. via call or text? Text. One word to describe Dave. Oh, it's so hard to say it in one word. I'll give you a couple. <laughs> Friend, loyal, and amazing. <laughs> one word to describe Bridget. I want to say strong, <laughs> but I want to try to not say that word. But that's what it is. She is. She's strong. She's strong. She's resilient. She's, it truly does describe her. It really does. I, yeah. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Last yeah. one. One word to describe yourself. Oh, caretaker, <laughs> support giving, um, kind, empathetic. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You have the ability to help millions of women and people mm. that find themselves in these tough times every day. And so I appreciate you opening up and talking about something that's not often talk talked about. Yeah. And just sharing your story, sharing the other side of, of Speech Sisters. And I'm just so grateful. So thank mm, you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to In Conversation series by Support Now. We hope today's journey has provided insights and strategy for times of grief. Remember, if you or someone you know is facing challenging times, Support Now is here to assist. To learn more or start a free registry, visit us at supportnow.org.